everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Surface. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I love finding out people's stories. I'm a pretty curious guy, and I'm always asking friends, asking family, asking colleagues, really anybody who will talk to me, uh, what their story is, what their journey is, what their path is, and how that path has impacted and developed their mindset, specifically for performance. So I believe that we're all performers, and I try to dive deep with a lot of elite performers to find out how they've developed their mindset, how they've cultivated that mindset, and how they've gotten to where they are today. So today we go beyond the surface with Darius Nichols. Darius is an assistant basketball coach with the men's basketball team at University of Florida. And as you'll find out in his journey, he's had a lot of stops along the way in his coaching career. And he also played college ball at West Virginia University where he had a great career. It was at West Virginia where he got to interact with two of the best coaches in college basketball, Coach Beeline, who is now at University of Michigan, and Coach Huggins, who's the current West Virginia basketball coach, are both legends in the game. And as you'll find out from Coach Nichols, uh, they do it very differently. So they have different styles for how they interact with their players and what they're trying to accomplish as a team. So I think one of the cool things that you'll hear from Darius is that he's adaptable, he's malleable, he's somebody who's constantly trying to learn, trying to figure out new ways of how to reach people. I think that's one of the reasons he was so open to coming on the show and coming on the podcast and talking with me. I actually met Darius last year at a conference which is run by a company called Coaches Inc. who represent all kinds of different coaches in basketball and football and in other sports as well. And uh, when I met Darius right away, you could tell he was someone who is personable. He's somebody who wants to get better. And there's not a whole lot of ego with Darius. And there could be ego if you listen to his story and how successful he was as a basketball player and how successful he is as a coach. So Darius is someone who's interacting with some of the best basketball players and some of the best athletes in the world. He's been at that level as well. He'll talk about his career or short career playing professionally. And he's just a genuine guy who has a great story. He'll talk about growing up in West Virginia and some of the things that went on with that. So without further ado, I present to you, Darius Nichols. So Darius, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Why don't you start, just give us a little background on where you grew up, who you grew up with. What was life like for you as a kid? Well, I grew up in Radford, Virginia, a small town. Um, a lot of people, I, I describe it as, you know, close to Virginia Tech. That's basically how a lot of people are familiar with it. But I grew up as me and my brother. I have an older brother who's uh, now coaching at Murray State. So uh, he's two years older than me. You know, my dad's a high school basketball coach at, at Radford High School. He's still coaching. Um, so, you know, it's just me and my brother, mom, and dad. And we, we were kind of those... Uh, those kids in the neighborhood where everybody would come over to because we, we had the basketball goal in the driveway. So uh, we always had people over um, just playing basketball. That was our birthday parties. We just ordered pizza and, and uh, played basketball. So How much older is, is your older brother? He's two years older. Okay. Yeah, he's two years older. Um, so, I mean, just growing up, I mean, we didn't we didn't get into into too much. There's not much going on in Radford, but, but playing basketball. So... There's a university, though. Is yeah. that where Radford yeah, is? Yeah, that's where Radford is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those cities where, you know, you know the neighbors and the dog's name. So it was, it was cool. It was a nice area growing up, and it taught me a lot of things growing up and some values that, that have been instilled in me. You know, What were, what were some of those values? Um, you know, just that I would say the biggest thing that happened to me when I was little is, you know, I, I realized at an early age everybody's always watching you because it was – you know, we grew up and there was a train track like right across the street from our house. And uh, so me and my brother and some of, some of the uh, guys down the street, you know, we wanted to throw rocks at the train and stuff like that, cross the train tracks, pull out spikes, you know, stuff kids do. 
And so one of the guys that uh, he kind of ran the railroad, he said, uh, he said, I'm gonna call your dad. And I'm like, this, this guy don't even know who our dad is. He said, I'm gonna call your dad and you know what's gonna happen when, when Bill gets home from work. Wow. Like, we don't even know who this dude is. <laughs> we go home and my dad gets home from, uh, he gets home for lunch and eats a sandwich every day. So we get back to the house and he says, hey, I heard y'all was on the train tracks. And you know, we, said, we got in trouble, we got in big trouble. Um, so at an early age, it just showed us like, man, people are always watching what you do. I'm like, I don't even know this guy. My, this guy calls my dad within an hour and we already get in trouble. What did dad do? What did dad do for a living? Uh, he, he works at a factory. Okay. Yeah, he works at a factory, Cole Morgan in Motors. So he's, he's been, he's been doing that for, I want to say over, over 25 years. Does he consider himself to be blue collar or how does he yeah, sort of? Yeah. Yeah. Blue collar all the way. There's his nod in his head and, and a smile just ear to ear. <laughs> he said, yeah, that, that's, that hits yes, the nail on the head. Yes, that's him. And how about mom? Tell me about mom a little bit. Uh, mom's a nurse. Okay. Um, she's an RN. She's, she's been RN as, you know, as long as I've been living. So, you know, he always lived in Radford. And everybody knows my mom and dad. Everybody knows my dad. He drives a green truck, and they know he's going to be at the gym. So um, this is a cool little city. Was he into uh, basketball? Was he into other sports? Or, or how did the bug get passed to the two of you since yeah. you're both coaching now? Yeah, well, my dad was, uh, he played at Bria College, NAI in Kentucky. He was an All-American there. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's one of the colleges, that I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's, you, have to, you have to work to pay for your uh, tuition. So everybody on campus has a job. So he met my mom there, and, you know, he played basketball. She ran track. Um, and then... Uh, you know, we always grew up. Peters Hall is an outdoor court that they tore down now that, you know, kids don't even play on the outdoor courts anymore. So my, we used to grow up watching my dad play on the outdoor courts. And, uh, you know, he used to take us down there and he'd be playing for two or three hours and we'd be ready to go home. So we just kind of we just got kind of got thrown into basketball. We, we saw it all the time. We watched it. And, um, you know, he never really forced it on us. It's just what we saw. So we saw him doing it. So we was like, that's probably what we should do. So hard work, do the right thing. Uh, you're raised by a community that's sort of keeping an eye on, on you and your brother. What are some other things that are foundational or fundamental to your family? Um, you know, the, the hard work component is probably, is probably one of the biggest things. You know, my dad, he, he worked two jobs. Um, he poured concrete on the side. So, you know, I come home. Well, he, actually, he comes home from work one day, and I'm, I'm sitting on the couch, and... You know, he doesn't say anything that day. And then, uh, so, come back home. He comes back home the next day. He's like, look, you know, if I feel like you're, you're working on your game in basketball, you know, you'll never have to work while you live here. You know, you'll never have to get a summer job or anything like that. But I need to know that you're really putting in the time and the effort. And so then, you know, I'm listening, but I'm not doing. Um, so he comes home the third day, and he's kind of like, okay, you're going you're gonna to do what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's, it's like July and 100 degree weather, so me and him are pouring concrete in 100 degree weather, so. How, how old are you? I'm probably, let's say I was 12, maybe. Wow. 11, 12, around there. So I'm doing all the hard stuff, you know. He's he's doing, the, the you know, the specifics, like where he's measuring. and <laughs> I'm pouring the concrete and, and stirring it up and breaking rock, like the hard stuff. And then I come home and I'm like, man, I... I don't want to do that for a living. Yeah. You know, I, I see what my dad's doing. I don't, you know, it's cool. He's, he's supporting us, but that's not what I want to do for a living. So I was like, let me get in this gym. I was in the gym three days, three, uh, doing three days. 
So that, that's, a sent, that's a moment in your life that just shifted. Yeah, for sure. Did your older brother at 13, 14, at, at that moment where you shift, was your older brother a gym rat or was he, is he what was he like at that yeah, time? You know what, he was more of a gym rat than I was. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more gifted physically than, than he was. So, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, I was a little taller, a little more athletic. So he, he really worked hard for his. He's getting up at 6 a.m. And I was kind of like, man, this comes natural to me. So, so he, from a young age, saw your dad and your dad's sort of values or the way your dad saw the world was instilled in your, young, in your older brother. Yeah. Um, so he was already on that path. Yeah. But you're more gifted. Yeah. So for you, it's like, ah, I don't necessarily yeah. have to do that. Right. I could still kill him on the court. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so that was the moment where you shifted. Yeah. Whereas maybe your brother from a young age learned like, hey, I'm, I'm not there. It's like, I, I need to work yeah. my tail off. Right, right. And, and you know, I was, you know, I was better than everybody in my age group in the city. But I had never been out of the city, so I didn't really know how good I was. I was like, man, I'm the best one in the city. Like, so, but then, you know. And your dad knew, your dad knew that too. And your dad yeah. knew, like, all right, my kid could do some things. Like, right. but now you need to put the work in. Right. Got yeah, it. So he, he wasn't going to let me get complacent. And, you know, just being out there in the heat for like three days pouring the concrete, I was like, this is, this is not what I want to do. What a gift he gave you at a very young age, right? Like. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. It was pretty intentional. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm sure he, he's like, no, you're not measuring. You're yeah. breaking the rocks. You're going to do the hard work, and, and you're never going to want to do this another day no, in your life. No, it's funny because my high school coach now, he has two younger kids, and he'll send me pictures every now and then. He's like, my son wasn't doing right. Look where I sent him. And then uh, his son said, uh, I talked to his son. I said, what did my dad have you doing? He said, useless work. I moved dirt 10 feet, you know, away from the other pile. And I was <laughs> so... Like whenever, whenever there's somebody in the community, they usually send them down to my my dad's house. He'll find work for him to do. Kind of. That's bring amazing. Him in. Is your high school coach somewhat? So obviously you're some you're still in touch with him. Um, talk about high school for you and what was that experience like socially? What was it like academically? What was it like athletically? Um, you know, it's, it's small. It's one of the smallest schools in the state of Virginia. Um, you know, we would have. My graduating class would have been 100, but one of my friends got, got expelled. So, you know, that's how small the school was. Um, but it was, it was it was cool. It was, you know, really small. We uh, played in the state champion. We, we lost in the state championship game twice. We lost in the state uh, it was a quarterfinals twice. So we never won a state championship. So then when, uh, you know, after we graduate, my, my head coach, who's still there now, recording me, you know, he goes on to win about, I think he's got like maybe six or seven state championships. Wow. So, um, no, it, it was cool. It was. Do you feel like you guys helped build that? Uh, you know, both you, your brother, like build yeah. like a program and a culture there or, or not, not necessarily? Um, he says we did. Yeah. Uh, you know, just kind of kind of setting the, the standard and, and winning championships and, you know, the kids underneath you. And then they, they, they watch you and they see your success. Um, so then I think they, I think, you know, everybody, the problem is everybody says they work hard, but like, who are you comparing yourself to? Mm. So I think, you know, when me and my brother, when we came through there, they kind of had something to gauge, okay, am I working hard or am I just working hard for me or working hard in comparison to other guys? So I think, I think we did help do that. I want to pull on that concept a little bit, which is, okay, you're working hard, but compared to what? Right. Or compared to who? Right. Uh, like I, th- I think about, I-, I heard this the other day, I was listening to someone talk and they said, all right, if you consider yourself to be smart, mm-hmm. 
but you're on an island by yourself, are you still smart? Because smart is something in comparison to someone else. Hard work. Okay, is it hard work compared to what, compared to who? And, you know, in my field, they all talk about internal and external motivation, right? Like, do you do it because you... You're just passionate about getting better or are you doing it because you want to go to the MBA or because you want the money or you whatever it might be? Right. And you know what I find with elite performers is a lot of times it's both. So they have an internal drive, yeah. but they also uh, have those moments, I don't want to lay concrete. Right. <laughs> um, right. I want to do something different. Uh, or um, I'm seeing my older brother work his tail off and I'm going to put in some work too. And so we need modeling. We need right. um, to compare ourselves. And I think we're often afraid to go into comparisons because comparisons a lot of times is where um, our own self-deprecation comes from and our own insecurities lie. But you know this better than most. Like The best athletes in the world are usually the most competitive. Right. So uh, what are they competitive at? They're competitive at working hard. They're competitive about being in the moment and me versus you. They're competitive when no one's watching. Um, But they need to know where that bar is set. Uh, And you listen to the elite of the elite. It helps them. Like if you ever watched Magic Johnson, Larry Bird stuff, it helped that they had each other to push each each other. So what are your thoughts on sort of – you you were the one that said it. You said working hard compared to who or compared to what. How do you make sense of that? Uh, you know, we, we just had our freshmen. We just had our freshmen get on campus um, last... And you're at University yeah, of Florida. University of Florida. So this past Friday, they get on campus, and, you know, they're all in the gym, and they're excited, and, you know, getting up 5 a.m. You know, we hadn't even started weights or, or the summer plan. And so one of them, I walk out there, one of them sitting, he's sitting, like, on the scores table. We just finished working out. So I asked him, I said, I said the reason why you're in the gym right now is because you don't know anybody, and nobody knows you. You don't have any distractions yet. And then and he looked at me crazy, and I said, so in September, I'm going to walk out here, and I bet you won't be out here at 5 a.m. Because you know what? You're going to know a whole bunch of people on campus. You, you went through summer school, went through everything else, and he just looked at me and said, no, nah, Coach, I'll be in here. But he doesn't have any distractions yet. But then he also said he works hard, and I'm, he, goes to, he goes to a small school in Atlanta. He went to a small high school in Atlanta. And I asked him, I said, who are you comparing yourself to? The football player who plays basketball a little bit or the golfer who's a, a jump shooter on your team who doesn't have time to, to work on his basketball game? Like, who are you comparing yourself to? And he didn't, he didn't really answer me, but that's what I always ask kids. Like, when you say you work hard or you say you do this, who, what's the comparison? Like, you think about when, when parents have babies and they say, oh, my baby's so smart. Like, who are you comparing your baby to? Yeah. So I think it's it's such an interesting concept, and I love that you told this story of that kid. And the other thing I think about as a distraction for him as he gets on campus is, is it cool to go at 5 a.m.? Yeah. You know, is he showing people up? Right. You know, because most people don't think that's cool. Right. Like, uh, there's an old Nike shirt that said, lazy but talented. Yeah. Like, you at 12 didn't want to go work hard because it wasn't cool to work hard. It was cool to not have to work at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, we forget when we're... When we're, when we're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, 
we want to be able to do the minimum right. and get out the maximum. <laughs> and by the way, there are a lot of adults who are 35, 45 who want to be able to do the minimum and get out the maximum. But the reality is once you get to a certain level and the playing field starts to level out, that's where you need to find reasons and ways to do whatever it takes to be successful. And I'm just going to use an example, which is Kobe. Um, you know, who's known as this maniacal maniac worker. And you better believe Michael Jordan had something to do with that. You better believe that he was comparing himself to Michael. Uh, And I think recently he started to admit that, but he, I think, kept that close to the vest for a long time. You better believe that he would, that was the bar for him. uh, And that was greatness for him. Um, And, you know, I don't care if you're Markel Fultz or whoever it is, I think having someone that you're like, oh, that's what they're doing? Yeah. And I think that's part of what has made the Spurs special for so many years. It's like Tim Duncan was doing what? Yeah. Kawhi Leonard's doing what? Yeah. And when you have your best player doing that, everything else falls in line. I want to go back to your story, though. So you're in high school. You're playing with your brother, I'm assuming, because you're in a small school. Freshman year, you're playing varsity yeah. ball? Yeah, so freshman year, my brother was a junior. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, so he was he was scoring. Uh, funny story when we were when we were younger and we we played together in Rafford in the city of Rafford. You had a you had a rule that like you could only score twenty one points. After you score twenty one points, you had to sit down. Wow. So I used to, I didn't keep track of my points. I kept track of my brother's points. So I, you know my brother's really good and he could shoot. I, I couldn't shoot at all. I could just make layups. So I, I would always say, Hey Shane, you got nineteen points. You, you can't score. You got to pass it to me now. Score, you can't score anymore. Wow. We needed you more defense, but. So then we, so then we played. Any, hold on, time out. Any idea of why that rule was in place? Is there, is there any like not showing people up? Yeah. Is it, is it like a sportsmanship rule? I is think, it? I think it was a sportsmanship. It's rule. a sportsmanship. Yeah, they didn't want the, you know, the really good kids to score fifty points. Wow. So. Man, what would Lavar Ball say about that? <laughs> what, would he, what do you mean? What do you mean we're not scoring twenty one points? Anyway, we'll we'll shift subjects and topics. Uh, so back, so so now he starts passing you the ball a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I get in high school, and you know we're, uh, you know we my freshman year we lost in the state championship game. Okay. Yeah, we lost in the state championship game. So then uh, I think my my sophomore year we lost in the state quarterfinals. So we're a small school. We run into a six ten kid and, and, and council cobras, and we didn't. Our tallest guy was six five. Um, so we ended up losing. And then he went off to school, and then you know I went on to, to start scoring, and then. Uh, but but less than twenty one. No, it was more. Than they changed yeah, it now. in high school. In high school, you scores me. Oh, you're talking about like yeah, rec league. I'm talking about rec league. Got yeah, it. So got it. Got school, it. Okay, I was like, that's no, a crazy no, no, no. high school county no. rule. All right, that makes more sense. In rec league, they didn't want you showing up. Rec- All right, so. but in high school, your high brother, school, your brother was jacking. Yeah. He was, he was shooting. Yeah, yeah. So then he graduated. So then I started jacking. And Got I ended it. Up, uh, crazy story. I actually ended up finishing with two thousand four career points, and that's uh, the same year I graduated. I told people I just wanted to stop it in two thousand four. So why? I, I was. Joking. Oh, you're just, <laughs> yeah, you just, yeah. you could have kept going. Yeah. Um, just put that in context and perspective, because I work with high school basketball teams. Most good basketball players in high school, like the really good basketball players, will get a thousand. Mm-hmm. So you're getting 2,000. That's like two high school careers in one. Um, so you're scoring a whole lot of points yeah. in high school. <laughs> yeah. uh, what was it like playing with your brother in high school? Was that special for you? Was that. What was yeah, it? What was that like? It was it was really special. Um, you know, I played with my brother. My dad was assistant coach. Okay. Um, like my second father, Coach Courtney, uh, 
he's our head coach. So it was it was really special. Um, you know, when he when when he left, I was I was nervous. I was like, man, I don't know if we're gonna be any good anymore because I was at the time I was averaging around twelve points a game and I, I couldn't shoot at all. Uh, so then once he graduated, I was I was nervous, but it was it was special. You know, just being able to go home and talk about the game, what we need to do, like game planning at home was that was that was really special. Did your brother go off to play in college? Yeah, he went off. Uh, he went to St. Peter's first. Okay. Uh, he was there for a year. He got freshman of the year in the league, and then uh, transferred to Wofford College. Okay. Um, and actually, the head coach of Wofford College is uh, from Radford. That's so wild. That's the whole connection. Got it. All right. So now you're on your own in high school, but you still have some success as a team. Uh, walk me through college decision and what that was like for you. Well, college decision, um, John Beeline, who's at Michigan now, um, he started recruiting me when I was a freshman in high school. He was at the University of Richmond. Yeah. So then I want to say my sophomore year, he gets the job at uh, West Virginia. Back up one, when I realized I missed on one thing, AAU, any AAU ball? Yeah, we, it, yeah, we play AAU. It was, it was like before the EYBL and all the stuff. Like we, we were the East Coast Eagles. That yeah. was, that was the name of our team. And, uh, we were the Eagles because the high school team in Roanoke, you know, their nickname was the Eagles, so we just wore the high school jerseys. There was no EYBL Peace Jam. There was none of that. Um, so we played on we played on East Coast Eagles. Um, so mostly low. You're playing. Well, we actually it, in the state. Well, we yeah we went all over. You know, okay. Just there was no like uh, there was no certified leagues. You didn't have the Under Armour. You didn't have the Adidas. You, you, so you just travel and play in tournaments. Just travel and play. Yeah. There, was no, there was no set leagues. But, you know, I, I was at all of the Nike stuff, like Nike All-American camp and stuff like that. Did you like playing AAU ball? I did. I did. You know, I played with my brother in AAU too. So um, I played for – and then I, once he graduated, I played for uh, I played for Boo Williams for a few tournaments. But, you know, just the trip down from Radford to Hampton, I, it got to be too much. So we, we stayed with the local team. Got it. You know, it's an interesting thing, and I've talked about this with other people on the podcast – most people that played AAU ball loved AAU yeah, ball. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare that I run into a kid that's like, yeah, yeah you know, I really don't like it. Right. Yet every freaking adult is like, AAU ball is killing yeah. basketball. And yeah. I'm like, dude, these kids love playing ball. And um, I don't know. When I watch the NBA now, I think the NBA is as healthy as it's ever been and uh, as skilled as it's ever been. And um, I think everyone's so quick to judge a generation or yeah. judge um, – Something like AU. Look, AU is not perfect. Yeah. The NCAA is not perfect. The NBA is not perfect. Um, but I, I just I think it's interesting because I always ask that question to people. I go, yeah. "Do you did you enjoy playing AU ball?" And uh, I loved it. Yeah, I, I love playing AU. Um, and a lot of people that kill AU, it's just it's not it's not an AU thing. It's it's just society. Like you can't just say, "Oh, AU is bad." Like I mean. It, and there's gonna be bad apples and everything. Yeah, there, there's pros and cons and everything. Um, like I feel like my generation was the last generation to to really uh, grow up like playing on the playground where sure. you where you come in and you got to call next and if you lose you if you lose you got to wait an hour. How old are you? I'm 31. Okay. So like you lose you got to wait an hour like so I feel like you had to figure out a way to help the team and whether it's scoring whether it's, whether it's defense so then. So you, do you have any idea when that changed? Was that the rise of the EYBL? Was that the rise of these big tournaments? Or what, what changed when kids stopped playing in the playground? Because I, 
you know, yeah. like, or stop playing in there, that like you guys would play in, you know, your front yard and everyone from the yeah. neighborhood would come. Like, when, when did that change? Did it change? Like, I, I don't... I, I, think it, I think it changed. I think a lot of it changed, too, when, like, you think how many skills trainers are out there right now. Mm-hmm. Like, and we need skills trainers, but there's so many skills trainers and kids don't, kids don't, like, really compete anymore. Like, everything's organized for them, like... When, when I was growing up, you would play, you would go to the playground and you would watch, because I, I got next, but I'm going to watch the game, because I'm going to figure out, okay, this dude, he can't pass, this dude's, this dude's selfish, this dude can't shoot, I need a big guy. So it's all peer evaluation. Now if you get, now you get put onto a team and, okay, this kid's not good, but he's got a, he's got a big time rep, we got to make him happy, like, oh, he's not helping us win. All right. Yeah, and maybe it is more organized year round, um, where they have supervision. Yeah, uh, they have someone telling them where they should go and um, how they how they should, where they should be. It is interesting because uh, I work with high school, college, and pros, and one of the biggest differences I see from high school kids and college kids is, and I'll get I want to get your thoughts on this is college kids tend to have more self awareness than high school kids. Um, I think a challenge when you work with high school kids is they just lack that self-awareness. Whereas in college, you do have more time on your own. Yeah. Um, even college athletes, like they do get to decide if they go to class or not. They do get to decide what they're gonna, you know, do at night. Um, whereas in high school, you know, you're home. Like you don't get to make that many decisions. You go to school, then you go to practice, or you're in study hall. Then you go to practice, and you go home. You, you eat with your family. Then you, you know, do your homework, and then it's rinse and you go to school. You rinse and repeat. Whereas college, you have a lot more time to make a lot worse decisions um, and just go through that process. So, um, I, I wonder, to your point, if we have become so much more organized in our sports that maybe there is a lack of. Uh, self-awareness or decision-making that has to just complete go th- that has to take place through making a mistake or you know losing a game um i I, w- I would wonder if there's a study on that and that could show like how much of kids sports is organized today compared to 15 years ago yeah. when when I, when we were yeah doing I, that. I think it's 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 really organized and you know, even when I was growing up, I knew I knew it. If I got to Peters Hall, that was the name of the court. If I got to Peters Hall after five thirty, it's going to be hard for me to get on the court. Yeah. So I knew if I got there at four thirty, that you know I had a chance. And before, like all the Rapid University players got on there, and they would pick me up. So I got to get on the court early so I can get on a good team and win. Because nothing was organized. There was no there was no group chat to where okay we're going to meet here and we're going to play at this time. So the athletes, if that would be the case, today are probably more skilled um, and maybe more athletic because they have strength and conditioning and yeah. you know programs. But in some sense, are you know when they don't when they don't get the experience of playing pickup, they might lack the ability to fight or compete mm-hmm. um, or maybe see some of the intangibles. It's an interesting thought though because like. So AAU ball has had different iterations like you're talking about. So where it is today is different than what it was when you were growing up. And before that, like I remember listening to Joe Dumars talk and he, he grew up playing with like Carl Malone and like 
two, two or three other guys that played on an NBA team. Right. And so I'm always like, people that say it's AAU, I'm like, well, dude, these guys were playing in the, in the 70s. They were playing AAU ball. Um, so it, that's always been there, like the idea of putting together all-star teams and going playing together. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I wonder, though, too, because, yeah, like I see some high school – Let's just use Josh Jackson as an example. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone's going to question Josh Jackson's competitiveness yeah. when you watch him play basketball. Um, but he, you look at his story, I mean, it's a lot of sort of organized ball. So I wonder, like, if we find a solution for that, how do we keep our kids ultra competitive while still having them develop yes. their skills? Yeah. And what does that dynamic look like? Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that. Because some kids probably go through the AAU system and say, I get to play all these games. I'm going to win every single game. Yeah. Like the idea that kids don't care about winning AAU, I think is, is baloney. Like I think a lot of those kids really want to win AAU yeah. and they're competing to win AAU. Now they also want to be seen by coaches and, mm-hmm. you know, exposure and all those other words, but it is, uh, it's just a fascinating thing. Yeah. Uh, we could go on and on about that, but I want to find out about you. So you're getting recruited Coach Beeline is recruiting you at Richmond or starts looking at you as a freshman. Yeah. Uh, he gets a job at West Virginia um, and develops, cultivates a relationship with you. Where else were you looking besides West Virginia? Well, I, I committed early. I committed as a junior. Okay. Um, so, you know, back then not a lot of people committed that early. Um, so and you're a point guard? I was a point guard, okay. yeah. So it came down. Uh, I had pretty much everybody in the ACC except uh, Duke and uh, Carolina. And then... Uh, so it was Clemson, UVA, uh, and I had Tennessee and, and West Virginia. Those were those were like the final final schools I was really considering. Um, Virginia Tech, they had a coaching change when I was throughout my high school uh, career, so I never really considered them because they they had a coaching change. But um, I just felt a connection with Beeline. You know, he recruited me since he's in, since I was in ninth grade, and you know, he went to West Virginia, and I said, you know, this is this is where I want to go. Did you guys grow up Virginia Tech fans? No, uh, not really. I mean, everybody, everybody in Radford are pretty much Virginia Tech fans, but I, I wanted to get away from home a little bit. Okay. So you go off to West Virginia. Yeah. Um, different environment than what you grew up with, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, what was it like going there? And talk about that experience. It was good. I mean, you know, freshman year, um, we go to the Elite Eight. You know, we're up, we're up on Louisville about 20 points at halftime to go to Final Four, and Louisville comes back and beats us. <laughs> so then you start your college career off. You, you go to Elite Eight, it's like, man, like... And you're playing a lot as a freshman. Uh, around 12 to 15 minutes, right. yeah. So, uh, you know, next year, then we, go, uh, we go to Sweet 16. Um, Let's back up one step. So Beeline is known for his offensive system. Yeah. Um, you know, a little ahead of his time in, in some ways, right? Like... Like I think of the what your your guys West Virginia team is going to stretch space the floor a lot of motion yeah. like walk us through just what that looked like on on a basketball court for those that may not know. Um, you know, basically you got five guys on the floor that could really shoot it. We had uh, Kevin Pitsnagel. I don't know if you know you guys remember. It. You, I do. You've been Pitsnagel. Yeah. T-shirts. And all well, that. he's like the first stretch. Like yeah. as I think about like stretch fives, I know Bill Lambier was a stretch, um, but I can remember. It was rare to see a 6'10", 6'11 guy really stretch the floor, and he really did. Yeah. Okay, so. So, so, yeah, so there's five guys that could really shoot it. Um, We weren't great athletes. That's why we had to play the 1-3-1 zone on defense because we couldn't guard anybody man-to-man. So um, 
we were we were difficult to prepare for because when you have to guard, it's kind of like be it'd be like looking at the Warriors, you mm-hmm. know, when they go small and play Draymond at the five, where you got five guys that can make an outside shot, and then defensively, you know, we're in the one three one the whole time, and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to prepare for that. So we were we were really hard to prepare for. Sure, um, but. You know, we had a lot of guys that could really make shots. Go back to that freshman year experience. So you're playing decent minutes as a freshman. You're impacting the game. You're a part of it. You guys are up 20 yeah. with an opportunity to go to Final Four. Take me to the locker room at halftime, and then take me to the locker room after the game. Uh, I can't remember the locker room at halftime, but I, I would probably say we were excited. I mean, I was a freshman. I didn't know what was going on. I was just trying not to mess up. So, <laughs> you know, I was just looking around. But locker room at after the game was uh, it was it was crazy. Um, you know, we had a chance to go to Final Four my first year, and then uh, you know, Patino starts running the high ball screen for Francisco Garcia, and he just carved us up, and they they came back and won. Um, so it was yeah, it was the crazy thing is like West Virginia basketball it was under probation like a few years before, so we were considered like the first group that got it back on track. So that was that was the positive out of it, but you know, just the way we lost that game, it was it was disappointing. And the locker room after, just tears, yeah. just like devastation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We don't need to go that no, deep. Into it. I don't want to get you yeah. crying. Here. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not Oprah. I'm not trying to get you crying. Um, okay. So sophomore year. Sophomore year. Uh, sweet sixteen. Sweet sixteen. We lose to Texas on a half court shot. I think it was Kent Paulino. Yeah, so we lose that to them. On, no uh, heartbreak to start your uh, career. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so then, so then all those you know the the five seniors that we had that kind of got West Virginia basketball back on the map they graduate. So then it's all these young dudes, and you know now it's my turn to be starting, and I'm nervous. So that's, that's my junior year. So then we end up going to the NIT, and you know we we really didn't want to be there. We're just going through the motions. Is your junior year the first year where you take on a leadership role, and yeah. and it's sort of coach says, "Hey, yeah. like here's the keys to the car, yes. man. Go yes. go drive." Yeah, so like we're we're all nervous. We're in the gym all summer, like trying to get right, trying to trying to put on weight. And... Were you a gym rat at that point in your career? Uh, I'd say yes. I'd say yeah, I was. So um, if if like you had. Coach version of you seeing junior yeah. version of you, uh, you're comparing to what you you had, you had work ethic. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. Um, you know, I was, I remember always going there before uh, before practice starts. I always try to get in there 20 minutes before practice and, and just get some stationary shots up. But I did the same routine every day. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would consider myself a gym rat. Um, same routine as far as working out. Uh, Drills, all that sort of stuff. Well, I would mix up the drills, but you know, I always try to get there twenty minutes from a timing standpoint, and and just go through some kind of you know some kind of you know finishing drills, shooting drills, ball handling, just so I was ready by the time practice starts. So working on your skills, developing your game, uh, and then practice would start. Another opportunity to mesh what you do individually with the team. Yeah. Um, which is something interesting because I think basketball has changed a lot over the last 10 years in that we do really value skill development. And I'm sure you guys at Florida like try to figure out how can we develop our guys individually and then how do we develop them as a unit, yeah. uh, as a team. Um, 
I'm curious about your mindset for performance. Uh, what was it like on game day for you uh, as a player? And maybe what, was it different when you were a freshman and then when you were a junior and senior? Or was it the same? Were you routine-oriented? What was, what was that process like for you? It was, it was different. As a, when I was younger, it was different. And as I got older, I kind of, you know, when I was younger, I was, I was so nervous. I was just trying not to mess up. So I would get worked up. I would get worked up, get to the gym early, just, just be hanging out at the gym. Um, that's the second time you've said that. So your freshman and sophomore year, that was really it. Like, stay in your lane. Don't yeah. screw up. Don't turn the ball over. Because yeah. for a point guard, like, like I always think of Steve Nash, who's one of the best point guards of all time, or Jason Kidd. Like, they turn the ball over a ton. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Magic's stats, but I'm sure Magic turned the ball over a ton. Right. Um, to play with that mindset of don't screw up or don't make mistakes <laughs> – that couldn't have been the best version of yourself, was it? Um, I, you know, I don't know because I, always had this uh, saying. He always says, "Fit in before you stand out," mm-hmm. and that's what like the first thing he kind of told us when we got to got to campus. And you know, they didn't really need me to score my freshman sophomore year. They needed me to okay, JD Collins is tired. Come in, give him a blow, make open shots. Like I would take chances. I would take chances, but I knew for me to play, I couldn't turn the ball over because then if you turn the ball, I'm not gonna play. Um, so that was that was a big deal. So you were clear at, with the idea of being a star in your role, like that. Yeah. Like, hey, I just I'm gonna be simple. I'm yeah. gonna be basic. Uh, this is not. Yeah. I'm no longer on the playground. Yeah. Um, and I'm just gonna do what I'm told. Put yeah. my head down. I'm gonna work hard. Yeah. But I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna stay in my lane. Yeah, because it was hard because you go from you being the guy in high school a year ago, and that's what you know. At Florida, we try to get our guys to realize, like, okay. You're starting all over again. It's hard for you to remember how you were as a freshman. Sure. But you're basically starting all over again. So I had to start all over again. So I go from, you know, scoring 2,004 points, and I had to score 30 points every night. So now the next the next year, you know, you just don't turn the ball over. But then it was I was real with myself because when I go there and I'm playing pickup for the first time, J.D. Collins is picking me up 94 feet, and I, I'm kicking the ball off my foot, and I'm just thinking, I'm like, I I understood. I, I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was realistic with myself. Did you ever fight it? No. I, I mean, I struggled. I struggled with it. Because you're playing ball at West Virginia. Yeah. It's not like you're playing uh, – I'll just not name another school. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like you're playing at a small yeah. school. Like, right. you're heavily recruited. You're ACC, you know, Big East, yeah. you know, SEC. Like, you're being recruited heavily. And now they're now you're like, oh, wait. Like, I can't bring the ball up yeah. the floor against this guy. Yeah. Um, I, I that push pull the reason I want to pull on that yeah. is I think that's such a real thing that people go through right. uh, whether it's sports or in a job where they're start like I was talking to somebody the other day who just started a new job and he's like yeah I'm just trying to figure out like what I need to do yeah. and how I need to do it right. but he's not thinking like oh I'm gonna be the leading salesperson or I'm yeah. gonna you know just crush it um but you still need to have that self-belief yeah um that when you do get in you're not going to turn the ball over right. uh, that you're going to execute what your role is and i think that's such a hard thing for a lot of people to deal with especially athletes which is if i'm playing 10 minutes or 40 minutes i need to make the most out of those minutes all right what is the process that's going to work for me mm-hmm. uh and being very clear about that um while sort of being humble about that but then being confident in your ability to play that way. And I think that's one of the hardest things. I'm sure you see it all the time at your level, which is like you have 10, 12 guys who are great. Maybe you're playing eight and you're playing 10. You're only starting five. 
Like somebody's going to have to adjust to that role. Yeah. But you still want them to believe that they can push the starter out. Yeah. And if they're a freshman, you still want them believing like, hey, man. Yeah, like, and, yeah and you guys have had right. freshmen at Florida that can help you right away. Like right. let's not get it twisted. So I, I just want to bring you back to that place. Uh, and if coaches are listening to this, I mean it's the – thing that they probably get frustrated the most with their guys trying to do too much when all we need you to do is be strong with the ball grab us rebounds defend do those little things yeah because a lot of especially freshmen a lot of them go in thinking man i gotta make something happen i gotta make something happen like well don't make something negative happen yeah trying to make something positive happen yeah so you kind of i see what you say you kind of gotta balance that and where my thought process was if i come in there i want to I wouldn't have a three-to-one assist turnover ratio. That so you were clear goal. on that. You yeah. set that out. Did no, you write it down? I didn't write it down. But it was clear. You yeah. knew. That's yeah. the goal, three-to-one. That's, that's my goal. And then, you know, I did. I got a – I had three-to-one. And then my by my junior year, I led the, uh, led the Big East in assist turnover ratio. It was like 3.91. Uh, Which, by the way, uh, I've been in NBA war rooms. The, the assist-to-turnover ratio stat for NBA teams, at least – it was like this is a big deal. Yeah. Like they really value that stat, um, and it makes sense. It's like a quarterback's touchdown to interception ratio. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's really important. Um, so you you were clear about hey, like I'm gonna make things happen, but they're gonna be smart. Um, I'm gonna. Were you big on like defending? Like what were the keys? What were your keys? You know, just defend and not turn the ball over, yeah. make open shot. But then my my other big key was. You know, Patrick Beeline, John Beeline's son, we, me and him came off the bench, and we usually came in the game together. And I was like, you know, if I, if I pass him the ball and get him some shots, I could probably get some more minutes. Yeah. So we, me and Pat would be sitting at the scores table. We always ran this dribble handoff in transition. I'd get him a three. So he would he'd tap me and say, hey, look for that dribble handoff. And I was like, I got you. All right, so i got to ask you this question. Was there any resentment about him being on the team with his dad coaching? No, uh-uh. they did They did an unbelievable job with it. Yeah. Um, you know, just he he was, he couldn't have played in a lot of other places, uh, but he fits his style of play, and he was really good. And, you know, he scored over 1,000 points, and he was, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the country. So sure. he uh, – there was no resentment. Like a lot of times, like we didn't even look at them as like you know that's his that's his dad. But did people hard. did people that didn't get minutes behind him did they ever have that or no? No. Huh. Yeah. Because I mean that is something else. They I may mean, have had it, but I didn't. I never heard it. You didn't hear it. No. Got it. Okay, so so you work your way up junior year. Now you're like, all right, keys to the car. Did you shift your mindset? You shift your mentality. What are you thinking before the game starts? Did you do anything mentally to get yourself ready to perform? Nope. By that time, I was I was I was more comfortable. So I would I mean I I, I didn't get too uptight. And yeah, so talk about the anxiousness or nervousness to not screw up, yeah. like the fear of failure, freshman and sophomore year. How did you did you um, adapt to that or uh, not focus on that? How, how did you How did you handle that? Um, I, I handled it okay. I would say I handled it okay. It was just like you hear people, especially when you go from high school and you hear and people you know expect you and they say, Oh man, you're gonna kill it up there, you're gonna kill it up there and then you get calls and texts and everybody's like, Why don't you shoot it? Why don't you, why don't you shoot more? Like yeah. I'm like y'all have to realize that I'm not in high school anymore. Like these guys are better I, I come into college, I weigh hundred and sixty five pounds. 
You know, like I'm competing against guys that are 200 pounds in my position. And so that's, I mean, we talk about that with our guys in Florida. Like you have to manage the people around you, not just your expectations, but their expectations too. And that's the hardest thing to do, especially it was hard for me. So I know it's even harder for our guys now. What were dad and, and your brother saying to you freshman year? My brother was playing, so he didn't really get to lock into the games and, and stuff like that. My dad was coaching. Um, you know, at the time, you didn't have, like, the Big East package, the big TV deals. We were on TV a lot, but not as much as guys are on TV now. So now you got DVR, you got all this stuff, so you can rewind and kind of, okay, you should have shot it there. Yeah. You know? You can break it down. You can break it down. Like, when I was playing, you couldn't do that. So my dad was okay. My dad, he, my dad never really, like, uh, he was never, like, over the top with it. He never said, oh, you need to shoot or because he's a coach, so he's not looking at it. That's my son. He's looking at it from a basketball kind of perspective. Sure. Um, but, no, nah, like, my other boys were back home. They're like, hey, man, you need to shoot more. You need to shoot every time you get, like, I'm trying to win. Yeah. They don't need me shooting. I got a guy coming in beside me shooting 42%, and I'm shooting 27% from three I was smart enough to realize he probably should be shooting it. That's the first time, though, you've mentioned, like, I'm focused on winning. Yeah. That was the focus for you. Yes. And that was instilled in you by dad? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, junior year, you're a leader. Talk to me about being a, a junior and a senior. Um, yeah, every, I was comfortable. Everything was like I had been through it before. We're coming off Elite Eight. We're coming off Sweet 16. Now expectations are down because all those guys leave. So we're hearing that, so it's kind of motivation. It's not... It's not that we're scared of the moment. It's like, okay, these people are counting us out because all the other guys that kind of built West Virginia basketball are gone. Um, so, you know, we ended up going to NIT. Uh, we didn't want to be in it. We didn't, you know, first few games, like, man, we don't want to play in this. So we started, we kept winning. So then we went on to win it. We won the NIT um, in Madison Square Garden. And then, uh, so my following year, we have a new coach, Bob Huggins comes in. And then uh, we go to Sweet 16. Time out. <laughs> Coach Beeline recruits you. Uh, <laughs> who, who do you like better? No, Stone? I'm not going there. But these are completely different. Yeah, for sure. Human beings. Yes. I mean, I, the, you... you <laughs> I, look, we're laughing, right? Like, yeah. I don't even know them. Yeah. You do. Yes. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out... Two fantastic coaches. Yeah. Uh, if you look at winning record, you look at their players. Seemingly, really enjoy playing for them. But philosophically, uh, manner <laughs> mannerisms. I mean, like, yeah. I, I let's just put it this way: Beeline to me makes sense at Michigan, and Bob Huggins makes sense at West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, what is it like for you going from? playing for somebody I'm just gonna generalize it if I'm wrong you can tell me no 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 you got it way off going from someone who's very like cerebral a little more like uh I would imagine like um I don't want to use the word innovative but beeline I would imagine was more like you know behind the scenes trying to figure things out he's like a mad scientist yeah like a scientist like intellectually like seemingly really bright and Coach Hugs, who I've never seen a player of his not like love the guy, yeah. but he's animated. He uh, talks like he's from West Virginia. He is a big, intimidating dude. Yeah. Um, he's maybe old school is a, is a is a way I would describe him. But like 
still like there are images I have in my head of him, like just players loving him. Um, What was that like for you? Because I'd imagine philosophically, there's just a massive shift. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't hard for me because I was already a senior. Um, Like if I was younger, it probably would have been tough because he's, he's demanded, like, like really demanded. Um, But you appreciate that because he, he always compares it to like, you know, who's your, who's your favorite teacher in school? It's usually not the teacher that just like lets you, you know, get away easy with it. And that's how he is. He's he's really demanding, but he cares for you. A lot of people just a lot of people just see him on TV yelling and screaming like, well, how would you play for a guy like that? But I always tell people that you can't you can't listen to like you can't listen to how he's saying it. You have to listen to what he's saying. Did you get that? Right away, or did I that did. take some time? You I got did. that. Yeah. Yeah. You probably had to help your teammates I who did. didn't get yeah. that. Yeah, some of the young guys, the guys really struggled. Um, but I think the thing that he appreciates about me is that when he came in, like I knew if I didn't buy him right away, nobody else would. Because it's kind of, I mean, a total difference. Like all these guys were recruited under B line and totally different styles. And if I was second guessing what he was trying to trying to teach, then everybody else would. So I was like. This is my senior year. You know, I want to go out with a bang. I need to buy him everything he's doing. And it's easy to buy in because he is a Hall of Fame coach. Um, so. And I would imagine the fact that you were a blue-collar kid from a blue-collar family, uh, there is probably mutual respect there, right? Like, yeah. he's going to work hard. You work hard. You work your ass off for me. We're, we'll be good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you see that in the guys he recruits. Yeah. They don't. I don't think anyone will ever accuse his team of not playing hard. No. I just don't think that'll ever happen. There are certain coaches that were, I think, Izzo, I think that, uh, Frank Martin. um, There are coaches where you just won't go there. You won't go there. Uh, And he's had talented players. Um, I'm I'm going back in my mind now to think about there's probably been some guys who are talented, but he'll get, he'll get the most out of you. Yeah. Um, so you, you really learned about leadership that senior year, I would imagine. What were the, what were your, what was your leadership style? What was the thing that you learned about leadership that senior year? Um, I, I was a leader more so by example. Um, you know, I wasn't really like a rah-rah guy, really vocal. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the guys, like if I said something, then they would listen because it wasn't like I was just talking all the time. Most of my leadership comes from example. Um, so it was it was good. We uh, you know we had a young team and we we figured it out. I think I think he was it was big because the first thing he did when he came in he said, "Look, I'm from here. I played here, so that was an easy. You know, we we realized he had been where we had been. Um, he got and, it. Yeah, and he he knew everybody in, in Morgantown anyways because he played there. Um, and they all knew him. Yes, and then he he just told us he said, "Look, I didn't recruit any of you guys, but but you're my guys." Mm. That meant a lot to us, and he, he just told us. He said, "Man, well, if you if you do if you work as hard as you could possibly work for you for uh, while you're here, I'll do anything for you forever." That's a big statement because you see a coaching carousel happen. You see guys transfer out, yeah. um, and for a coach to say, "Like it doesn't matter if I recruit you or not. You're now my guy." Right. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure a lot of coaches would do that in that situation. Yeah. I may, maybe I'm ignorant, but. I think a lot of times coach would be like, oh, I need to get my guys in here. Yeah. Um, but he got in there and said, you're my guy. If you do X, Y, and Z, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and you know what the thing like we appreciate about him, he was he communicated to us consistently, and he was real with us. Like he he told us in the like after the second workout, he said, "I'm gonna be honest with you guys." He said, "You know, I I've, I've never had this many guys that can shoot the ball as well as you guys can." He said, "But you know what? Never had this many guys who can't defend." <laughs> he said, "So I'm gonna struggle with this." And he said, uh, he came up to me and said, hey, can you put in that one three one thing that y'all used to do? <laughs> and he said it just like that. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to need that. Yeah, he said, so we, we put it in. I think we're going to yeah, need it. Yeah, so he adapted. He adjusted. Yeah. He yeah. figured out, like, all right, I don't, it doesn't have to be my way. We right. need to find a way to win. Yeah. Cool. That's such an awesome, like, I, that dichotomy of those two coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine how they both impact you. And now we'll, I want to find out more about your journey after school, but how did both those coaches impact you as, as you think about your coaching philosophy, your, your style, the way you handled things? You know, I think it, it was, at the time I was, I was upset. Like when Beeline like came, like, I'm gonna tell you how we found out, like, cause it leaked out. It leaked out that we found out that Beeline was leaving. You know, I was, me and my teammate, we were playing, we was playing Xbox. And you know how you have the live updates on the bottom, like when you connected through the Wi-Fi, And that's how we found out. Oof. Cause it leaked out, so then he called the team meeting, and uh, so he went over there. And I, I just, you know, I was, I was upset. I was like, "Why?" And he said, "I can't, I can't really tell you guys right now. Time, I, I'll be able to tell you." Um, so then, at the time, I was like, "Man, this is the worst thing that ever happened." But now, looking back on it, if I would have played for Beeline for four years, I probably would have been thinking, "Man, this is the way to do it, the Beeline way. We're gonna do it this way." And it, it's helped me in coaching now, you know learning under Huggins too. And now, you know, Florida, obviously Billy Donovan leaves and we go and we come in. And so now I'm part of a coaching, uh, the second coaching change as a coach. So I know what those guys are going through because I went through a coaching change as a player. Um, so I, I think it, I mean, it's crazy. You always say things happen for a reason, but you, you never know why until later. And you know, that I think that may be, you know, that I've been through it before. It's, it's such an interesting thing. It, if I could combine two coaches, like those would be two of the coaches I would want to combine. <laughs> like I like, like I I believe in blending. Yeah. So like I think, look, you want to have an identity. Yeah. Uh, I think about this in all ideas of life. Like, look, what are your non-negotiables? Like, what are the things that you philosophically you value? So for you, like work ethic is just that's a non-negotiable. So right. when you're recruiting a kid, like. If that's not there, it's not going to be your type of kid. Yeah. Uh, it's just not. It's not in your DNA. It's not uh, how you're raised. Um, so you need to have your foundation and your non-negotiables. But then the style, the way in which you do things, you got to steal. Yeah. Like you got to yeah. try to take from this person, from that person. Yeah. Take it, steal, learn, grow, shift, adjust, and blend. And so we often try to silo things and say, oh, I just want people that are gritty. Well, I'd rather have people that are gritty and grateful. Yeah. Because if they're gritty and grateful, then they're going to work their tail off. They're going to keep going, but they're going to be happy to do it. For sure. Whereas they might be gritty. They might burn themselves out mm-hmm. and they may quit. Um, so we like to silo things. But when you can blend, like when I'm humble in preparation and confident when I'm performing, that's where the beauty, that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. When we are just humble, everyone likes humble people. Yeah. You tell me if you want five humble dudes going to show up and play Kentucky, you know, in, in Big Blue Nation yeah. in Lexington. You tell me how that's going to work out for you when you show up with five guys that are, oh, 
I don't want it. You take it. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm really not that good. No, you need some guys who are a little narcissistic who are like, yeah, you know what? F Kentucky. Yeah. They didn't recruit me. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick their ass. And like we said, who are you comparing it to? That matters. So that competitive spirit needs to be there. So I like the blending of things. And you got to blend, man. Yeah. You got to. You got to. You got, yeah. you know, <laughs> brains and beasts. Like yeah. you got, you know, you got this nice mix, and that's that's an awesome thing. So you graduate from there. Walk me through the next part of your journey. So I graduate from there, and I'm just like all these other kids. I think I'm going to get drafted. You know, play in the NBA for ten years and whatever. But uh, so I end up uh, going overseas. I went to Hungary. Did you have workouts? In- yeah, actually, I had one workout. I think it was. Uh, because I was a local guy. Okay. I worked out with the Wizards. Okay. You know, because Morgantown's not too far. Um, it's not local. They liked you a little well, bit. Well, local. Yeah, they liked Come you on. a little bit, but then they yeah. was like, we need some bodies. Like, <laughs> I understand it now. Yeah. Like, I didn't understand it at the time. Yeah. Um, so. You know, you joke about that, but, like, I know the Atlanta Hawks did that with Mario West, who played at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Mario West was a walk-on at Georgia Tech. He played with great players at Georgia Tech. He averaged like six points a game, but he started. And his job was he was a 6'4 athletic guy who could not shoot a lick, yeah. like could not shoot the ball. They bring him in to work out with a gar- bunch of guards. These dudes can't bring the ball across midcourt. Yeah. He's strapping up. <laughs> they can, and they're looking at him. They're like, this kid can play. Yeah. He can play. And so they're like, all right, invite him to the summer league. All right, invite him to training camp. He's at training camp, and the point guards are all like, get this guy off the rod. Get him out of here. We don't want him here. They're like, well, if they don't want him. Fast forward a couple years later, he's ding up Dwayne Wade in the playoffs, and Dwayne Wade is frustrated as all hell. So you never know is, is sort of my, my thought. And like, yeah, did they bring him in to be a body? Of course. But uh, I love that story because – and I actually talked to Paul Hewitt about it because yeah. uh, Paul Hewitt was at George Mason. I got a chance to have lunch with, with Coach Hewitt, and I talked to him about Mario West. He's like, yeah, you can't get rid of him. He just defended. And for your 15th guy on the roster, that's a spot. And then in the playoffs, when you're playing against Dwayne Wade and he's one of the best guards in the world, go get him. And he gets him. And he's just making Dwayne Wade's life miserable. Uh, So you never know. And so I got not to say that you could have done that, but maybe you (laughs) could have. Yeah, maybe you didn't have his athleticism. Um, But uh, so you go overseas. uh, You you, you said Hungary. Hungary. Yeah, Where were you in Hungary? I'm just uh, curious. Out of Maramu, okay. I say. It's a small town called Pax. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure you never heard of it. <laughs> My grandma's from Debritsen, Hungary. Yeah, yeah. They they were they had a team uh, in our league. So that's, yeah. why I, that's why I asked. I don't know. I've never been yeah. there, but she's from there. So I... That's that's my knowledge. That's my yeah. hung, Hungarian knowledge. You probably had chicken papagash. Did you ever have chicken papagash? I don't think so. Yeah, you, maybe. You were, I had the goul- I had a lot of goulash. Goulash. Yeah, yeah there's some good food. My grandma's a good cook. She used yeah. to make us some good stuff. A little paprika. Paprika. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, so you're there. Where else? Where else did you travel? I only went there. So I was there for eight months, and then uh, like right before the playoffs, we were number one. Like we went on to win it, but I got hurt. Mm. So I. I hurt my knee. Um, I got an MRI in Hungary, and they was like, "Oh, it's ACL." And I was like, "I don't know if that's ACL." Really? So, yeah, yeah. So, I, had you been hurt at all? Through I've you? never been hurt. Like, wow. never. Like, played the most games in NCAA history without fouling out. Like, whole bunch. Like, never got hurt. <laughs> um, so, first year over there, get hurt, and then so I send the MRI back to uh, the United States, and they say that's not the ACL. 
they said like because the MRI machine was so blurry they said it's not the ACL though we can see the ACL so then I was just like man just send me home I said because y'all don't know really what's going on I said send me home I'm gonna go figure it out so they sent me home and uh I got like paid like the an extra month and a half of my salary mm. so our team was good so we won it by the way, just a little, that's rare that they took care of you. Oh, yeah, no question. Right. I had it in my contract, though. Yeah, but yeah. still, that don't mean anything. Yeah, overseas. <laughs> so um, so then I, I get here, and they say, you have that micro fracture. Oh. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm doing research. I'm like, that's not a good one. And so I start rehabbing. I'm rehabbing. Uh, man, thank God you didn't get your ACL done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I start rehabbing. Get ready to sign a deal to go back over. I think I was going like Germany or Belgium, some some other country I was going to, and then uh, I hurt the other knee. So I started rehabbing that, and then I like I'm running out of money. Like that month and a half of like salary, I'm like I'm struggling. Like I can't work summer camps. Like so I go to Morgantown where I know all the people up there. So I'm like I could probably get a pretty good job. So I'm rehabbing up in Morgantown because they're not going to charge me because I know that a lot of the people so I'm working at the local hotel parking cars like I'm a valet guy mm. so my knees hurting so I'm trying to run sprint get cars I'm living on my teammates couch and then so I'm, I'm kind of like in the middle like I don't know if I really want to play anymore like I don't want to go to another knee surgery what was the other knee uh, the other knee was like a meniscus and just kind of cleaning it out yeah just for over overcompensating so then I'm just hanging around basketball office so hugs is like Hey, my grad assistant, he's leaving um, after this year, so I'm going to have an open grad spot if you want it. <laughs> so I think you ought to get into coaching. Like, the longer you play, it's going to be hard for you if you ever want to get into coaching. So I'm, I'm, like, struggling with it for, like, two months. So I'm going to the office, like, trying to figure out what they do, and then I finally finally say, man, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm not even going to play anymore. I'm going to do the GA thing. Was that something that was easy for you, hard for you? It was hard. It was hard, but then, like, once I got actually, like, involved in basketball, I was like, man, I'll just play 2K, you know. I play, you know, yeah. I'm good. Like, I'll play in the men's league if yeah. I need to play or something. So it was good after that. But, like, during the time when I was trying to decide, like, is this what I want to do? Because, you know, that's your identity. Like, yeah. they know you. Darius Nichols, the basketball player, they don't know you. Darius, like, um, so then after that, I was, I was okay with it. First year out not playing – what was that like for you? Did you miss it? Was it? Did you, can you go back to that time at all? Uh, I missed it because I was living on my teammates' couch and yeah. parking cars. Yeah, um, yeah, I really missed it. Um, so it was, it was, it was hard. I missed it because you know you part of the team. Like you're always part of the team, and then like you, you're individual. Like I think that's what a lot of guys struggle with because when you get to the pros, it's, you're part of a team, but. You also like your own brand too, mm-hmm. like more so than college. And I tell our guys like, you're not going after practice. You're not going home playing, having man tournament. You're not doing that. Um, so that I've was, talked, that's what's hard for me. I've talked to NBA guys, especially rookies. The hardest part for that transition is realizing that now you are your own entity. Right. And look, I think there are certain teams that really cultivate culture and brotherhood and. Um, you know, I think that that does exist, yeah. but many of the teams it does not exist. Right. And a lot of the guys, look, the money, no one's going to sit here and tell you that you shouldn't make millions of dollars. Like, that's great. I think we'd all sign up for that, and it it's, makes our lives better. Um, but a lot of them will talk about, like, man, I, I miss 
the camaraderie and the bond and uh, the cohesion that you have in college. And um, that's not to say that they'd say we'd go back, although I've had rookies who have said, yeah, I wish I was just back in school. Yeah. Um, and once again, not to say that college is perfect, but um, I think that's real for people. And, and by the way, I've worked with pros who have retired, and that's what they say they miss is yeah. like the camaraderie, yeah. the brotherhood. Um, and I think the best pro teams cultivate that. I really do believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Golden State because they won, everyone can talk, point to them. But you listen to them talk, they're like, yeah, we do everything together. Um, and I've been on, I've worked with some pro teams where like, this is the closest it's ever been to a college team. Yeah. And that's usually a compliment yeah. um, when they say that. Uh, so you, you get in as a GA, you start coaching with Coach Huggins. Yeah. Um, walk us through the, the journey along the way. So I'm a grad assistant. I'm there for one year. And then, uh, you know, as a grad assistant in college, like, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. You can't be on the floor or stuff like that. So I'm like, man, I'm just here. I'm cutting film. I'm good at this. Like, now I want something else. So then the grad assistant that I replaced, he went to Northern Kentucky University. So Northern Kentucky was going to transition D2 to D1, so they had to hire another assistant. Hmm. So I made, I, so then I followed him to Northern Kentucky that following year. So I only did one year as a grad assistant. So we were D2, and then, uh, so I stayed in Northern Kentucky for two years um, through the transition. So you helped them transition from D2 to D1? Yeah. Must be fascinating as well. It was really hard. Yeah. It was really hard. You know, you go to place like Chicago and you got NKU on your shirt and you're trying to get a kid from you know this school or that school and they're like NKU where's that at and I, was, I went back I said hey uh, coach we gotta start spelling our the whole our, thing the whole thing out. where the where Northern the Northern Kentucky yeah it can't be NKU nobody knows what that yeah. is um, so then you know I, I spent two years there and then I go to Wofford so you see the connection there yeah. my brother was a Wofford Mike Young is from Bradford, my hometown, so I go there for a year. Um, and then I go to uh, Louisiana Tech. I was only walking for a year. I go to Louisiana Tech for one year and then go to Florida. Got it. So you're now in Florida. You've been there for how many years? This would be year three. This awesome. upcoming year. Awesome. What are the things that you feel like you need to do from a mental standpoint to be a, a great coach, to be great at what you do uh, on a daily basis? I think... I think the main thing is just putting yourself in uh, other people's shoes. Empathy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that's huge because a lot of times, like, always have to go back and think, like, how was I as a freshman? Like, I was taking the freshman around this week, and you know they were acting like, man, it was the worst thing ever. And I was like, I remember that it was the worst thing ever, but like, you gonna be okay? Yeah. Um, so just having empathy, and you know, especially all the people you deal with on a daily basis you know a lot of the kids they have a lot of people around them we call it in their circle so not just only dealing with not only dealing with the kid but dealing with the people that's important to them and nowadays kids have a lot more people around them than when I was coming up mm-hmm. so just just having that empathy and of of how things have changed since I've been in college is what's really important I think as a coach I, I couldn't agree with you more I think empathy is so valuable and look, times change, things change. I tend to think they change for the better. Yeah. Not everything, but I think we tend to progress. And I think a lot of times all of us are, are victims of doing this. Like we all say back in our day. Right. Uh, and like the moment you say back in our day or, you know, you're not solution driven. Yeah. You're excuse driven. Yeah. The moment you say, oh, well, we used to, or, or this is how I 
that has nothing to do with the solution at hand. Yeah. Uh, no, reality, we're living in today, yeah. and tomorrow is going to be a little different than yesterday. Yeah. Um, but what can we do? So they're on Snapchat, all right? How do we meet them where they are? Yeah. All right, so they have more people in their ear. How do we invite those people into our family? Yeah. But, and I'm not even saying that there's, that's the way to do it. A solution is shut it all down. I mean, I'm not, you can go into whatever direction you want, but to just say, well, this is how I did it, well, that, that's irrelevant. Right. Um, and it's important to know what you did and what you were like, but you are not them and they are not you. And they have, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. Maybe they're more skilled, but they lack this. Um, there's a push pull to everything, uh, and too much of anything is a bad thing. So uh, I think empathy is just, it's a massive, massive skill, massive, massive tool. Here's what I want to do I want to end with what I call our preferences. So we're going to go rapid fire. Okay. And you're going to have to pick one of these preferences, and you can only pick one. Okay. Um, and I'm going to let you choose whether you are Coach Darius or player. Okay. Uh, so you're going to decide, and you're just going to say to me, player, coach, and with which mindset you're going with. Okay. Okay. So when I answer a question, yeah. I say I'm a coach. And I got you. Yeah. So do you prefer preparing or performing? Uh, coach, I'm, I'm going as coach. Uh, preparing. As a player? As a player performing, <laughs> for sure. Uh, do you prefer yes sir people or why people? As a, as a coach, as a coach, I want to think of why. But I want, you want to say yes sir. As a coach, do you want to coach yes sir people or why people? You want to coach yes sir people. Yes sir people. Yes. Okay. Let's just stick with that one. Uh, do you prefer a system or autonomy? As a coach. As a, as a coach, uh, a system. As a player? As a player, autonomy. Was Beeline more system and Huggins more autonomy, or were they both system-oriented? Uh, Beeline was more system. Okay. Yeah. I like going player and coach. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to get to re-listen to this and think about it. Yeah. It's fascinating as we go, talk about empathy. Uh, cheat and win or lose while being honest? Lose while being honest. Okay. Oh, both of them. Player both. Yeah, yeah. Athletes are the only ones that will sometimes say cheat and win. Because their perspective of cheat and win can be like tugging on the jersey. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas other people, they think of cheat and win, and maybe as a coach, you think of cheat and win as like recruiting violation type stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting. Athletes are the only ones that will go that <laughs> route. Um, perfection or progression? Progressive. Most valuable player or most improved player? Most valuable. As a coach? Yes. How about as a player? Most valuable. You want, the, you want the valuable. That's easy for you. Yeah. You're like, duh. <laughs> yeah, that was the easy one. Why is that easy for you? Because you could be most valuable and improve. You could be both. So I love that you bring that up. I think it was Steph, when Steph Curry was MVP, I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, I think he's the most improved player. He was so much better than he was the year before. He yeah. was just, remember he was on like the tear? Yeah. And they went on to win 73 games. Like, 
And I said that. I said he's most valuable, but he's, he should win most improved. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we diminish most improved player, that award, and we just give it to the guy who like, came back from injury or something. I'm like, no, give it to the guy who like, showed that he got better. Yeah. Like added an asset, a, an act, uh, but, element to his game. But then you know what? Sometimes as a player, like you, when you give like, most improved like, at a camp or something like that, sometimes kids look at that like, oh, so you're saying I suck. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? We so need to change like, that, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it should be like, no, dude, like yeah. you went from good to great. <laughs> right. like, it should be for good to great. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Uh, resume or eulogy? Eulogy. Okay. How do you think about that question? I just think because like we're in, we're in the business, well, I'm in the business of, of making impacts on people or having influence on people like so I think eulogy is, is more important. Awesome. This is a good one for you. Your generation or your parents' generation? <laughs> My generation. And how about... Everybody your, picks their generation. How about your generation yeah. and the generation below you? The generation below me. You pick that one? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Why? Kids. These kids got like unlimited meals and everything. <laughs> you're going, you're going into it purely based on what you get. All right, cool. Um, evaluations or descriptions? Uh, evaluations. Positive or negative feedback? Negative. Culture or talent? Culture. Momentum or the moment? The moment. Pumped up or calm down? Calm down. Grit or grind? Liked or respected? Respected. Transformational leadership or transactional? Transformational. Easy one for you. Yes. Goes back to your eulogy uh, comment. Love, love winning or hate losing? Hate losing. I thought that's the direction <laughs> you were going to go in. Yeah. Risk taker or rule follower? Mm-hmm. Risk taker. Were you like that as a player? No. You were a rule follower. <laughs> yeah. Because everything that you talked yes. about was like, don't turn the ball over, stay in your lane. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Why would you answer risk taker? Um, just because I know the value of taking risks now. I didn't know it then. What changed? I got older. <laughs> Lived a little bit more. Is it that you saw that you need to take risks in order to get to where you want to go? Yeah, I would say that. I would say for sure. Like, I wouldn't be in Florida if I didn't take risks. Beautiful. Yeah, because you bounced around. Yeah. Like, you I was just like, oh, man, I like this, man. It's a pretty good spot. No, I wouldn't be here. Okay, cool. Starter on a losing team or towel waiver on a winning team? Towel waiver, yeah. You like winning. <laughs> yeah. You don't like losing. No. Nah. Balance or specific obsession? Balance. How would you have answered that as a player? Not a big balance. You've always been pretty solid mm-hmm. across the board. Okay. Before I go to the next one, did that hurt you at all as a player? Um, probably. Does it hurt you at all as a coach? No, I don't think so. You think it helps? Yeah, I think it helps. Well, look, people in your field... Uh, I have, people in your field have said you, you shouldn't play golf yeah. as a coach. People in your field believe you should sleep uh, in the office. That sounds like specific obsession to me. Yeah. How do you make sense of balance? 
Um, I mean, I, I think you need balance, like because if I'm if I'm in if I'm in the office all day, something something's going to take a hit. Like relationships at home, relationships with players, something. So then, like the most important thing is 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 your players, and they 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 feed off you. They they feed off your energy level. They can they evaluate everything. They watch everything. Um, so yeah, I just don't. We got we got a lot of guys that think that if you sit in the office all day, you're going to win games, and yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah. Where where does that come from? Where does that belief or the lack of belief in that come from? Because that just doesn't that doesn't I don't know. I'm just I've I've been fortunate to work for good guys that have always been balanced people and I've always won. And I think you just you have a you have a bigger appreciation for the the organization when you know, when your life at home is not taking a hit. Love it. Fear of failure or fearlessness? Fear of failure. Walk that back for me a little bit. Uh, I mean, I just don't want to fail. I don't. It, it doesn't consume me. I, I'm not. You know, I don't think that. I don't think that like failure is final. I think you can fail and then get back up, but you don't want to fail. Like I don't want to fail. I don't. I don't think like man. I, if I do this, I'm gonna fail. So you're going to take risks, but you're still going to say, I'm going to do this, but I'm not trying to fall. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be really strategic about, about the whole, you know, taking risk and evaluating the whole situation. Okay. Do you disassociate from pressure or do you embrace it? Embrace it. Always been like that? Uh, I've never really, like, I've never really viewed something as, like, more pressure than another situation. Do you, you play know? in the NCAA tournament? Like, You're pretty I even? That. Yeah, I haven't looked at that as any different. Like, the other day, it was funny, like, um, you know, he's taking a recruiting test, and I hate taking a recruiting test. It's easy, but you don't want to be that guy that fails it. And I, I told Coach, I said, I said, man, I'm more nervous taking this test than we were to, you know, play to go to the Final Four. And he's like, what? I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, I'm being for real. Yeah. Um, but no, I just kind of, I don't really look at anything differently, like, any game. Why was the recruiting test Something that scared you. Why was it? Because yeah. I hate taking tests. Just tests. Yeah, I hate, taking, <laughs> I hate taking tests. But you like competing, but a test for you is different. Yeah, yeah. Now it's always been like that for you yeah, too? Yeah, I always hate to take a test. Is that because you're afraid to fail? Uh, I don't know. It's, usually when you take a test, you're in there for a long time. Right. Or at least I am. <laughs> So yeah, I just hate taking tests all quiet and like. It's not the it's not the environment you want to be in. No. Uh, Do you prefer your head or your gut? My gut. You trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, you are off the hot seat. Um, so here's what I, I just want to end with: if people want to follow you on Twitter, I don't know if you're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, whatever other social media, where can they do that? Um, obviously if they want to follow Florida basketball uh, this year um, where can they do that uh, where can people find out more about you my Twitter handle is CoachNice14 that's my Twitter I, I usually use, I use Twitter more than anything else like I'm on Instagram I could tell you my what my whatever it is but I'm on Twitter pretty actively and I awesome I will respond awesome perfect 
Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Loved hearing your story. Uh, there's all kinds of different layers to it. Um, I'll go back to the story that you, you told about your dad, this, this moment in your life where it was life-changing and life-altering. And, um, you know, just by him taking that action, which was at the time probably one of the worst days of your life, uh, turned out to be what set you on your path in a lot of ways. So pretty cool stuff. So thanks for the time. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. All right, thanks, man.